We're doing a, a three-part series at the moment on the facts, three important facts about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first one was the triumph that he enjoyed. We did that last week. The race is run, his work is done, his crown is won. And this one here today, the legacy that he left, the triumph he enjoyed, the legacy he left, and the last one next week, God willing, will be the return that he promised. We'll be on the second coming next uh, Lord's Day, all being well. But we're looking today at the legacy he left. If you don't mind, I will read the scriptures as we go through it together. But if you have your Bibles with you, have them open at John chapter 13 because everything that we're going to be reading about today comes within John chapter 13 to 16. That section there of John chapter 13 to 16. I don't know about your family, but my mother's family, my father's family uh, were not wealthy. They were miners and foundry workers and all that kind of thing and didn't have an awful lot to rub together. I'm sure you can identify that with that yourselves sometime past perhaps. But I had an uncle who wanted to be wealthy and he used to be on the pools every Saturday and any time he went through to see him, he always had to shut up when the scores were on. For these draws, I don't even know a thing about the pools and how you win them or that kind of thing, but we all had to keep quiet while the, the results were coming through on the television with all these uh, draws that he was supposed to be getting. Of course, it, it never materialised. He never became wealthy through the pools. But we had this uh, guy in the family, this older man in the family. We called him Uncle Jim. He wasn't really an uncle. But he used to come around us and he knew the family really well and uh, the day came when Uncle Jim died and he owned a house and one member of my mother's family on mother's side was invited to the reading of the will. Well there's a great deal of excitement in our family, I don't know about bereavement, but a great deal of excitement. Because he was the only one that was in the family that we knew who actually owned the house. And so this Uncle Bob, my uncle, decided to go up and represent the family at the reading of the will. And he was all excited, I'm sure, at the end of the day. And he came back a wee bit disappointed, a wee bit surprised. He came back with two old pictures. And they weren't even of any value. They weren't even paintings. Just two old rubbish pictures. And I said to him, why don't you open up the back of them? And I said, maybe Uncle Jim had some money <laughs> in the back of the pictures. <laughs> but uh, we were not destined to be wealthy. The same is not true of the Christian. We are destined to be rich toward God. That Jesus left the, the riches of glory and became poor. That so through him we might have the, the riches of God. So we are meant to be wealthy, not in, in terms of material possessions, not in terms perhaps of money, but certainly rich towards God. And what we find in John chapters 13 to 16 is Jesus' last will and testament. 
what he has actually left us, the legacy that Jesus has left us. That's what we're going to be looking at today from these chapters, John chapter 13 to 16. All that Jesus has actually left us that will make us rich towards God. And the first one that uh, he has left us is his peace. And you'll find it there in John chapter 14, 27. It says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You see, the world's idea of peace is the absence of war. Or the world's idea of peace is living very comfortably with uh, good friends, good income, good food, all that kind of stuff. Living in comfort. Nothing to disturb or ease. Used to be years ago the picture of peace was the cat lying in front of the open fire and the father sitting there on the chair with his newspaper and the slippers being brought by his wife and he's puffing away in his pipe. That used to be the picture of perfect peace. But that may be the world's idea of peace, but it's certainly not that of Jesus. What is the peace that he left us? And Paul describes that peace in Philippians 4 and verse 7. He said it's a peace that passes all understanding. Or we could say it's a peace that transcends all understanding. You can never fathom out this wonderful peace that only God can give through Jesus. This is not something that the world understands. This is not something you'll get from the world. This is something that comes only through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's quite unbelievable that the the fact that Jesus was, was about to die on the cross. And instead of thinking about himself and his suffering, he's thinking about leaving us the legacy of his wonderful peace. A peace that he wanted to leave us. That the world cannot give. It's beyond understanding. But thank God. It's not beyond experiencing. We can really experience it for ourselves. He was a peace that the disciples were going to discover. In the midst of all the storms that they were going to go through. In taking that Christian message to the world. This was something they were going to experience. As Jesus left that scene of time. And went to be back with his father. You know, in a distracted world like ours, what a wonderful possession peace really is. Bringing blessing not only to you as a believer, but bringing blessing to all the people that you influence in this life. And when you have the peace of God in your heart, you influence people for good in a very remarkable way. So how do you get this peace? And what's so interesting, you look in your Bible at Philippians chapter 4, you find two verses there, verses 7 and 9, and they give us the answer to that. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Jump from verse 7 to verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Do you see what it says in verse 9? talks there about the God of peace. Do you see what it says in verse 7? About the peace of God. Now you can't have... 
the peace of God without the God of peace. And Jesus came to introduce us to the Father. He came to introduce us to the God of peace. So you cannot have the peace of God without the God of peace. And we find that there very clearly in the scriptures. He left us his peace. I need to ask you today, have you got that peace in your heart? Have you got the peace that passes understanding that we were singing when the, with the children? Have you got the peace that passes understanding? Because Jesus came to show that as we kneel before that old rugged cross, we can have the peace of forgiveness. That as we come in repentance to the cross, it tells us that the, the peace comes by the blood of the cross. It comes as you open your life to the Holy Spirit. And so he left us his peace. But he left us something else, and that's his joy. If you look at John 15 and verse 11, it says there, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus spoke of his joy. And again we ask the question, how can Jesus speak about joy when he's going to suffer this terrible death upon the cross? And the problem of course today is we confuse happiness and joy. Happiness depends on what happens. It depends on how good the circumstances are. But joy is something that's much, much deeper. It's possible for there to be storms and things happening on the surface, but right deep in our hearts, there can be a deep-seated joy in their lives. And so Paul knew all about that in Philippians 4 and 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Paul wanted the believers that he was writing to, to know the joy of the Lord to be their strength. And that's what it speaks about in the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's said of the followers of St. Francis of Assisi that they were known as God's glee men. And what that means, they were full of glee, they were, they were full of a deep-seated joy in their faces because they sought to follow the Lord. How do I get this joy? Well, it's a bit like the peace. It comes as the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is peace and joy and long-suffering and all the other things and self-control and all these other things. But it comes as the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life and mine. It's also true that the closer we walk with the Lord, the, the longer we spend in His presence and prayer and seeking His face, the more we experience that peace and that joy in our hearts. It's good to be, as the old Scots word was, far bend with the Lord. Close to the Lord, experiencing his peace and his joy. But that doesn't mean that we're unmindful of the sorrow of others. Or of the difficult times that we go through. It doesn't mean that we are we're thoughtless or heartless. One of those backslapping Christians keeps smiling brigade. That kind of person. No, no. It's a sad world that we're living in today. But you know, if we carry with us the joy of the Lord, 
we're going to enrich somebody's life even when they're going through bereavement when they're going through difficult times when they're going through sorrow if we carry that deep seated joy we're going to bless them in a way beyond our asking beyond our understanding it's wonderfully infectious the joy of the Lord is my strength. I was influenced very much as a young person by the brethren folks that I knew and they had a lovely joy. I don't think I would agree with everything that they believed, you know, but in those days, everything was just fine. <laughs> everything that they believed was just fine. But what was so wonderfully attractive was the joy of the Lord on their faces. The peace that they had in the Lord Jesus Christ was just so wonderful. They weren't after material possessions. There was no telly. And there was one brother who didn't believe in record players as well. They had that one under the bed. But anyway, there was all these things they didn't believe in. But you know, the Bible just sat there on the armchair. And there was a wonderful peace. A wonderful joy in their lives. And I used to say to myself, I want more of that. I want that peace. And I want that joy for myself. Jesus left us his joy. There's something else that Jesus left us. He left us an example. Look at John 13 and verse 15. It says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. He left us his example. Now Peter must have realised how important that was. Remember in the upper room where Jesus comes with the towel and the basin and he bends down and washes the disciples' feet. And what does Peter say? Lord, you're never going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part with me. And Peter said, well, not my feet only, Lord, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said, he who is washed of his feet, that's all that's actually required. But Peter realised that Jesus was actually saying, I want you to go and wash other people's feet. <clears throat> or I want you to be involved in humble service. I want you to follow my example in that humble service. And so you find Peter gets the lesson. First Peter chapter 2 and 21 says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And the example of the Jesus is not the least of the things that he has left us. It's a very important thing that he's left us. The example of his personal service, his humble service, his self-forgetful service. It's not the least of the things that he has left us. It's something to be prized. Something to be practiced by every believer. He came to be our example. Well, let's not belittle that and seek to follow the example of the Lord. This is the way the master went. Will not the servant tread it still? You know, it's very precious, isn't it, as people to have a mother, a father, or a friend whose example we love to follow or if they've passed on we love to follow in the past they gave us a, a wonderful example of Christian life or a wonderful example how to live this life and there are many people in society today who are a great example to their children and to their friends to follow the example of Christ he gave us his peace he gave us his joy he gave us an example but he gave us something else he gave us his business. You'll find that in John 17 and verse 18 it says, 
as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Jesus is praying to the Father here, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And sometimes when a death occurs in the family, the son or the daughter takes on the family business. And that's true about the Lord Jesus Christ. That he went to the Father, he had finished the work, but there's other work that he wants us to do. And so you find Luke in Acts chapter 1 and verse 1, this is what Jesus did and continues to do. And so the acts of the Holy Spirit is the continuation of the finished work of Christ in terms of spreading the gospel. And the question you might be asking is, well what kind of business is Jesus involved with? Well, I'll tell you what kind of business he's involved in. He's involved in the fishing business. Because he tells his disciples in Luke 5 and verse 10 that you would go and catch men. I'm sure that means women as well. And what a desperate need there is for men and women to find Jesus Christ as Saviour. And so they were to be fishers of men. The second part of his business is the newspaper business. He tells us in the word of God, we have to publish abroad the good news. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And the gospel means good news. So he's into the newspaper business. He's also into the builder's business. You find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10. We're told that each one must make, take care how he builds and what's your foundation. So we're in the building business. Building on the foundation of Jesus Christ himself. And lastly we're in the retail business. I, I like that one because that was my business before the ministry. We're in the food retail business. There's the milk of the word to drink and there's the meat of the word to eat deliver the milk but also make sure that the believers get the meat as well, it's a retail business the master's business is a multiple store and he's left the business to us he's got every right to say to you and me, how's business how's it going how's the fishing business these days how's the newspaper business How's the building business getting on? How's it all getting on? I've left you the work. I've left you the business to look after. And there's something else that Jesus has left us. He's left us his Holy Spirit. Look at chapter 16 and verse 7. I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counsel will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He's a person, not something that Jesus left, but someone that Jesus has left us. He's given to us the Holy Spirit. And scripture teaches us that we shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. How desperately we need that power, don't we? The power to experience his peace, to exhibit his joy, to embrace his example, to ex execute his business. We cannot do it on our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, it's not easy to be in the king's business. It's not easy. There's all kind of difficulties come along the way. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can take up the challenge. You know that upper room discourse? In the upper room, Jesus spoke more about the Holy Spirit than anything else. The one thing I'll never forget about a recent trip to Israel... And I'm sure Joe and Sheila and Lorraine will agree with this. That, and Kathy, when we went to the upper room, there was a group there already. 
and they were in mid-flight as it were singing was it Spirit of the Living God, Father Fresh in me, or was it Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this, but I can't just remember. But they were singing, weren't they? And all, oh, how many were for 27 of us? We joined in with them. And to see the look on their faces as this other group joined in with them singing about the power of the Holy Spirit in the upper room. It was just so precious. And they just looked behind to see, who's singing? What a wonderful choir. Of course it was a wonderful <laughs> choir. <laughs> they wondered, who was singing? Who knew? Who knows this? And, and joined in with us. And that's the wonderful thing here about the upper room discourse. Jesus said more about the Holy Spirit than any other person. And it shows us the importance of the Holy Spirit and what Jesus places in the Holy Spirit and grasping how much we need that power to finish his business, to go about his business. Without him there's no peace and joy. Without him the business is going to flop. It's as simple as that. And it's no exaggeration to say the Holy Spirit is to be found in all that we need as believers to do what we ought to do but to say what we ought to say to know what we ought to know to be what we ought to be it's the Holy Spirit involved in every one of these but let's never forget that at the end of all the Spirit's work for us, in us, through us is the glorifying of our wonderful benefactor Jesus and Jesus says, he will reveal me and will glorify my name. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, to glorify Jesus. That's what we want to do as believers. We want to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Give him the praise and give him the glory. This wonderful benefactor who has left us so much to enjoy, to make us rich toward God. He has given us his precious Holy Spirit. Ah, but there's something else he's given us. He's left us a house. Isn't that nice? He's left us a bit of real estate. Look at John 14 and verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's left us a house. Not here, but in the heavens. But the Lord has left us a house in heaven. He's prepared it for us. And it's comfort to know that Jesus has actually gone before us and prepared the place. He's behind us as a shield. He's beside us as a friend. But he goes before us as a courier preparing the way for us coming. Going ahead and, and making all the arrangements. That was true of the creation of the world. He was going ahead of us to prepare the earth for us to live in. It's true of the preparation for salvation itself. He knew what we were needing and he prepared that for us upon the cross. And it's true about the strength that we need. He goes ahead of us preparing that strength for each one of us. Do you realise, do you realise that you own some property in heaven? You own it in heaven. And finally... Number seven, it's a perfect number, isn't it? He's left us a keepsake. You know how somebody, when somebody dies, sometimes they, they leave us just something. It's not to be shoved at the back of the drawer and not consulted. It's something to remind us of the person who has died. And what's the keepsake that Jesus has left us? Is it not the Lord's Supper? Is it not the Lord's Supper? This do in remembrance of me.
It's in memory of him. His body broken, his blood shed. The symbols of bread and wine are meant to bring us all back to John chapter 13 to 16. All through that whole area, John 13 to 16, is the context of the Last Supper. Let me finish with this wee story. The story is told of a lady in the days of the Covenanters. Have you heard of the Covenanters? They were the dissenters. They wouldn't go along with the the state view of religion. And so what happened was ministers were kicked out of their manses and kicked out of their churches. And so they met in places in the countryside, in remote places. And a congregation would gather around them. And when they were found by the king, I can't remember if it was Charles I or Charles II, but when they were found by the king's soldiers, they were either in prison or killed. Many covenanters were burned at the stake alive for their faith. And so these soldiers, they met this woman on, on the pathway and they said, where are you going? Now she was going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, but she couldn't say that. And so instead of saying, I'm going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, she says, um, my elder brother has died. And they're reading his will today. And I'm going to the reading of his will because I've got an interest in it. My elder brother has died and they're reading his will today and I've got an interest in it. What she was really saying was, I'm going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. That's the keepsake of this wonderful Lord that will always be a reminder of him think of all the things he's left you he's left you his peace his joy, his example his business the fishing business, the newspaper business the building business, the retail business he's left of his spirit his mansion in the sky his keepsake folks, will you receive all that he's left you are you still an impoverished Christian you don't know that you're meant to be rich towards God. Could it be that you've just never taken into your heart and yourself all that the Lord has left you? And you're living an impoverished Christian life that's meant to be rich towards God. Will you reach out the hand of faith and receive the legacy that he has left you? that will make you rich towards God. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's just pray. Loving God, we want to thank you not only for the triumph that you enjoyed, but the legacy that you've left us. And forgive us, Lord, when we live in impoverished Christian lives as if we had no resources, as if there was no spirit, no peace, no joy. We thank you, Lord, there's all these things that you've left us. A mansion in the sky, a keepsake of the Lord's Supper. Help us to remember all that you've left us and to receive it and claim it for ourselves because it's for each one of us today. In Jesus' name, Amen.